0: Welcome to Self-Release Songs. I'm your host, David Garrick. So, instead of going into a diatribe about politics or talking about the fact that the end of the year is coming soon and a lot of people have to figure out what they're going to put on their best records of the year list, I'd like to say thank you uh, to anybody that lets me do what I do. Uh, You'll hear this on the 19th of November, And in two days, I'll be 45 years old, which means I'll be doing what I do in one way or another for 30 years. Um, Getting to write about bands and talk about bands and talk to bands and talk to artists and interact with artists and go to see shows is a really great way to spend your time. It's a really cool thing to call a career. And I wouldn't be here without plenty of people. Um... People that I have to thank, uh, are people that employed me and put up with my BS because I'm not easy to work with and I want things a certain way and if I don't get them, then I throw a fit and I'm even worse to deal with. Anybody that ever gave me a chance, anybody that ever read an article or listened to a podcast, um, but also people over the years who have introduced me to music, um, my friend Ted, my friend Mike Boer, um, John Baldwin, Derek Rathbun, Daniel Jackson. There's so many people, some of which have been on this podcast, who have said, hey, you like this, check this out. Um, Bob, that used to work at Vinyl Edge, turned me on to so much good music. And that's kind of what this is all about. It's all discovery, right? It's us deciding what we will pass on to other people, Anytime someone asks for music recommendations, I try to lend a hand, maybe not on social media because it's exhausting with all the extra posts and the, you know, little buttons that keep telling you like you've got a notification and then it turns out it's somebody else commenting on the same thread, whatever. But I really appreciate anybody that's ever introduced me to a band, said you got to stick around for the last band or get, get there early, you got to see the first band. Um, literally kind of everybody in my life turns me on to music and I'm so appreciative of that. I'm so lucky to get to do this as a job Uh, to get to go see concerts whenever I want to get to go pretty much anywhere I want to go to get to go see festivals anywhere I want to go see a festival. Um, I mean, to get the information sent to me PR firms like Grandstand, and Riot Act, and Pitch Perfect, and pretty much every other PR firm in North America, the labels like Matador, Sub Pop, Anti, Hellcat, Epitaph, Hardly Art, Joyful Noise, Thrill Jockey, Kill Rock Stars, I mean, this, is, this year alone has been a weird year. To get quoted by Thurston Moore was one of the most surreal experiences ever. I mean, I freaked out when Kill Rockstar started following me on Twitter. It's such an enjoyable world that I get to be in because people like you who listen to this podcast and people that click on articles I write for closed captioned, keep it all going and keep it all alive. And I'm more appreciative than anyone you'll ever know. So thank you a million times over. And hopefully we get another 30 years out of this if I'm bearable uh, after all that time. So somebody else that introduced me to music. Uh, Specifically, there's a lot of stuff, actually. Buffalo Tom, um, Wesley Willis, Elliot Smith, just to name a few, uh, is a guest on my show today, Chris Simpson. You know Chris from bands like Mineral, The Gloria Record, Zookeeper, and now Mountain Time. I've known Chris since I was like 17 years old, and I'm always impressed with how he goes about writing a song, how he's very honest about how he does music, how his music turns out. You know, it's surreal to be in a band that you think nobody cares about, and you tour all over, and you have your success, and then you call it a day, and to reunite like Mineral did, and now you've got all these people that want to give you lots of money, all these people that want to come see you, people that tell you things like the music touched your soul. We find out a lot about that whole process, the early years of Mineral, uh, the reunion of Mineral. We also talk about Gloria Record. Uh, We talk about Zookeeper. And we talk about Mountain Time, Mountain Time's new album album. I think is one of the best albums of the year. It's beautifully constructed. It's very lush, heavily instrumented. um, And you get to find out a lot about the players and who produced it. Um, But I value Chris as a person, as a performer, uh, as a songwriter, and as a friend. And I was really elated to get to talk to him. I tried to set this up earlier in, and it didn't really seem to work. And the fact that I don't have kids, so I don't know what that's like, and he has four... I'm really happy that he took some time out to do this. So it's a great episode. Again, thank you for letting me get to bring these episodes to you. Thanks for listening. And without further ado, here's Chris Simpson.
1: Okay. So... You weren't born in Texas. You were born in Colorado, right? I was actually
2: born in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh,
1: Um,
2: okay. And moved to... We actually moved to Texas when I was little, that I have very little memory of. But um, So I think we probably moved there. I probably lived in Texas when I was like three and four. We were in... uh, near Willowbrook Mall there in that, what is that neighborhood called? Um,
1: Champion? Champion? No,
2: it's on 249, like, south, like, almost to the Beltway. Uh, It's not, uh, yeah, I won't be able to remember the name of it, but uh, um, our buddy Dustin... Oh, yeah. But lived there. What is that area called? Yeah. I, can't,
1: I can't remember what uh, that's called, but I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Um, anyways, we lived there like one of the years we were there. And then we moved out to spring and lived like right by the Goodyear Blimp base there. And so I was like four then, and I, I remember seeing the blimp all the time floating around. Um, but then we moved to Colorado when I was four or five. And I lived there until I was probably 15 or 16 and then moved back to Houston and finished high school at, uh, so that's, I mean, was
1: there, was there a reason for all the moving?
2: Well, my dad's in the oil industry. So that's like, you know, Denver and Houston, basically. Um, So he got a job in Denver, um. And ended up having several different jobs in that industry in Denver. And then, you know, that industry has always been kind of up and down. Um, But in a time when it was really down, when we were still up in Denver, he got his realtor's license and he was like selling insurance. And
1: when he was working like
2: eighty-five hours a week, like three jobs, trying to keep it keep it going, you know. And then we moved we moved back to Texas because he got. Some people he knew from his early days in the industry started a new company and offered him a job. And he was like, I could move down there and work one job again. <laughs> That's cool though. I mean, yeah. how many, how many siblings do you have? Uh, just one. I have an older brother.
1: And I mean, where does music come in? Does anybody in your family play music?
2: Yeah, my whole mom's side of the family was really musical. Like, they were all like, she was considered the black sheep of her family because she didn't get a degree in music. She didn't go to school for it. Um, she got a degree in art and English, like a double major. Um, and everyone thought this was weird in her family that she wasn't doing music. But, you know, for the fact that they all did music, they, you know, nobody really played or composed music. But, they're, like, you know, my grandma was church pianist and organist, and my aunt was uh, just retired from, like, the Lincoln public school system where she worked as a music teacher her whole career and, you know, also ended up putting on, like, these elaborate musicals every year, like, plays from her school. So uh, they were all involved in music in, in that sort of way, you know.
1: I mean, did that, is that where you think you got it from? I mean, I, I would assume you were around them enough to experience some of that.
2: Yeah, uh, to a degree. You know, we were mostly in Colorado starting when I was five, but we went to Nebraska a lot. Um, and our whole side of the family kind of stayed in that little orbit of Omaha and Lincoln. Um, but I think mostly just through my mom, like, you know, she played piano a lot and just, obsessively listened to music. It's the main thing. Um so it's funny, like all the stuff I discovered I kind of discovered through her like um early on it would have been like uh, I got really into like the she was really into the the pre disco BGs, like the early kind of Beatlesy sounding BG stuff. And um she was really into Simon and Garfunkel and um <clears throat> Stuff like that that I kind of latched onto, to. But then as, you know, the 80s went by, she was always really into what was current, too. She was into real bad pop country, you know, like she was into Anne Murray and Juice Newton and Laura Brannigan. And uh she was also really into, like, you know, Michael Jackson when he got popular and Lionel Richie and Barry Manilow. She was just always, like, buying music and playing music all the time. So I think that's definitely where my sort of passion for music came, just always listening to it.
1: It's really funny you bring up Ann Murray when the last Wise Blood record came out, I described it as modern Ann Murray and <laughs> some kid. I that. On, yeah, so, some kid on the internet hit me up and said, I didn't know who Ann Murray was and it's not all my thing, but I kind of really like this. So thanks. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how this is supposed to go. You know? <laughs> that um, so
2: good. I would never have made that association, but I can totally hear it now as soon as you say it. And I like, and I like the one fun record, you know? So it's, yeah,
1: that, I like. that was my favorite record last year for sure. That
2: um, was really good. Yeah. The,
1: uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely strange how parents have such an influence. Like I grew up, my dad listened to country and blues and my mom listened to soul and R and B. So, you know, when you're older, my parents are way older. So it's like growing up in a house where you're hearing lightning Hopkins and Sam cook, you know? So, um, lucked out because they had good taste in music because they could have had terrible taste in music but uh, you mentioned early Bee Gees and that stuff man, I I literally just had a conversation with an audiophile friend that's kind of getting into all that and I said, oh, you know they're the only band to outsell the Beatles and it was a one time thing, but it still happened Uh, Yeah. Yeah. that folky stuff and that weird psych stuff is
2: great Um, yeah, totally yeah, so, I still love it.
1: What band kind of did it for you? Like, what made you go, okay, that's it. I want to start a band.
2: Well, I think I was really into, uh, as I got into, like, middle school, um, I was really into, I, th- I mean, I think ultimately it was kind of like Bono, you know. Uh, I mean, I heard, like, The Cure and, U2 and Depeche Mode and the things that were really big in that few years there. Um, but really like Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tree, like that era of U2, like I think I was I was sort of smitten with the idea of like being a, this larger than life, like rock band thing, you know.
1: Yeah, I think people now don't understand. There was a whole time when that band was, yeah, they were on Island Records, but they were still underground and like rebellious. And even I remember seeing Rattle and Hum in the theater and nobody was there, you know, and it's just kind of like, I think nobody knew where to put them. They were a rock band, but, you know, they're wearing these big hats and that got misconstrued, you know, and it was kind of, they didn't, they, you know, they ultimately fit, but forever, they didn't fit really with anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were really, yeah, it was like they were trying to be everything at once, you know? Um, I just loved, you know, that, how big that sound was. Like, um, you could really hear that music feeling stadiums and stuff even before it did.
1: <laughs> and I swear to God, this is real. Uh, there's a couple of mineral tracks that to me in this weird way have like the same ring is, as is er- as, like early U2 stuff. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, so that real. was, that was my full on obsession era with them like that early mineral time. Um, so it's it's probably not entirely like, coincidental. Um, I mean, I was, yeah, I was really into Boy and, like, the early records especially at the time. To me, like, Boy is, like, the kind of ultimate punk rock. Like, that's the kind of punk rock I, I, I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, before, I mean, I, I heard Minor Threat so early in that it made an impression, but when you expand that circle and you look at what gets called punk there's husker do and there's uh tons of other bands that aren't hardcore and i mean yeah those early U two records could easily fall into punk you know so i see yeah. that and then like what did you start off at, at a different instrument or was it always guitar
2: yeah so i actually started playing drums
1: and what? how did that transfer into guitar? Uh,
2: so I started playing drums. Uh, my brother and I were working in Denver as uh, caddies at the Denver Country Club um, which was a hilarious job but um, you would just show up at like, it was kind of first come first serve so you would just show up as early as could and like try and get a couple rounds if you got there early and got on a round early you'd have time to come back and get another one after it um so we just spent a lot of time this one summer there like caddying trying to make as much money as possible because my parents told us like we were already interested in music and my brother wanted a guitar and I wanted drums so my parents told us at the beginning of the summer like if you guys get a job and try and save up some money this year this summer will like will basically match what you come up with so like i don't know if i wanted a 400 hundred dollar drum kit i had to make a couple hundred bucks and my parents would pay a couple hundred um and i don't remember how much the drum kit was but um so yeah we worked that was our goal for the summer was to like get a guitar and drums and I think my brother is really into music and he still plays and has guitars and stuff but never really played in bands or out um so he got an electric guitar and i got drums and i was really into drums and played them all the time and played along with records and was really learning how to play and then being in middle school it was cool to be a drummer because there there were a lot of guitar players but not very many drummers so you're like instantly in like three bands at your school, if you're a drummer, you know? Um, Yeah. It's that way to today. Yeah, for sure. So I was drumming and playing with a bunch of different people, but it was, it wasn't long before I realized like, man, I want to, I want to write, you know? And I was like, I had taken a few piano lessons and would like kind of write stuff on the piano at the house, but I was obsessed with the guitar and I wanted to learn it. And my brother and I were very competitive and like, I was not supposed to be in his room touching his things at all, but it was also like he was, he was a year ahead. So maybe he was in high school and he was starting to be gone a lot more. And so I would sneak into his room when he wasn't around and taught myself to play his guitar. Um, And then eventually I like bought an acoustic. So I kind of had my own and started writing on that. But I also started playing bass because some some bands that again, like bassists weren't as common as guitarists, so it was like another way to play with more people. I could learn how to play bass and I can join a couple other bands. Um but yeah, ultimately it was all pretty short lived and it was like this realization that I wanted to be writing my own stuff and fronting my own band, you know.
1: Yeah, no, and I think it's hard for people to understand now because there's guitar center and there's all the online stuff. There's a reverb, but I mean, it wasn't uncommon to be in a band, but it also wasn't as common as it is now. It seems like, I guess it's maybe one of the guys from Gloria record had a, he was the first kid I met that had a punk band, like, like a kid kid, like he was 14 or something. And he had a band called called Leaky Fawcett. Uh, Yeah. And I was just like, oh, wow, these kids are doing it. Like, it was not, like, super common to have a band, you know?
2: Oh, totally, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah, a I lot mean, of them I
2: remember in in junior high, you know, yeah, there would have been, like, two or three bands maybe at a, at my junior high school. Like, by the time you get to high school, I'm like, maybe there's a couple more, but, yeah, it's, it wasn't. It wasn't like everyone was in a band, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels that way sometimes now because there's so many bands coming out. But yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it's it's definitely a different time now. So you're playing all these instruments, you're playing with different people. Like, what was the first band that stuck? Like, do you remember the name of it?
2: Uh, so, so yeah, I was in this like uh, long like death metal thrash band called mortal enemy that uh my best friends from denver uh brent and jeff were like the the guitar players slash singers um and i actually ended up singing on that's i was i was playing i started out playing drums in that band and then we got another drummer and i started playing bass and then we got another bass player and i was just singing for a while um but yeah i was i was fully into that scene in Denver, which was big in Denver, like metal and thrash in the late eighties, you know, um, it was never like my favorite music, but it was definitely fun to be playing in bands that were playing shows. And, um, so that was, that was probably my first, you know, quote unquote serious band where we actually would occasionally play a show and recorded things. Um, so death metal <laughs> I, I wouldn't have expected that but that is, that's a great name for a band <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah it yeah, really is actually, yeah it's actually funny like there's uh, I still occasionally get emails like um, from usually people in Germany who have like discovered that band and like they never we never Officially, I think, put out the records that we made that were all just kind of self-released. We had a couple of songs on compilations and stuff that um so it, it got out there to a couple of people. And, uh you know, Germany is very, very into metal. So occasionally, I usually direct them to my friends, Brent and Jeff, the, the main guys whose band it was, but uh, I'll occasionally get an email looking for information about mortal enemy. <laughs> are there any, cassette, are there any cassette tapes left or t-shirts left that I can check off your hand, sort of thing?
1: The people that are into, into that are really into it. There's a band from Houston called insect warfare. They haven't been together in forever, but I would assume if you threw enough money at them, they would go, they would, they've done it in the past, got back together and played a show or a festival. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's really crazy how people I mean it's not, it's cool, you know, we all like what we like and I went down a rabbit hole of post punk that started with Wire and I mean, geez, I interviewed Ian from uh the cult and I talked to him more about their tours with Wire and the Cure than actually anything the cult has done in the past decade. So Right. Um uh, because it was just like, I, you know, it's like kind of cool to hear it from the so- source, you know, so.
2: Yeah, the guy who was there, um, yeah.
1: So, went, so you so moved that back was, to
2: Texas, that was, and obviously that was you to Denver. You know, and then I, so in Denver, it was more lenemy and then I moved back to Texas, and I had started, I also wrote just a, a ton of stuff on the acoustic, like, it was just kind of, you know, I had, like, notebooks full of songs that were just me playing acoustic and singing. It was just kind of sad, like, simple, bulky stuff. Um, and so when I moved down to Texas, I started doing that. And that's kind of what I was doing when I met Scott um, from Mineral. Um, and we started, we briefly had another band called Eye the Worm. It was he and I, and Jeremy was the initial bass player is just like he's practicing with us so we can hear bass on the stuff um, but he's not going to really be in the band and then we got another bass player eventually and you know, recorded like a four song thing or whatever and then Jeremy and Matt uh, were in Nothing Return and Nothing Return came back from tour and broke up and Scott and I really wanted to play with Matt and Jeremy just because they were really, really good bass player and drummer and um The guys we were playing with were, were great guys, but, you know, they were just like, Matt and Matt and Jeremy were like, you know, pros. They were like a next level up for us, so they were like excited to play with them. So that's where Mineral started.
1: I mean, is it weird, I mean, looking back on all that, I mean, is it surreal that it went as far as it did?
2: For sure, Um And in saying that, you know, I have to think about the reunion, like when I think about when as far as it did, like, you would know, think about like playing in Japan and Australia and things like that, that like the initial phase of Mineral, like didn't seem that crazy. You know, it's just like, oh, you yeah. know, we toured, we put out some records, we, we had some success and then we broke up. Like that's kind of, that was the story of every band I knew in that era, you know? Yeah, that um, was par for the course for everybody. Yeah, it didn't seem uh, extraordinary at the time at all. So I think what felt like special was just, like, continuing to see over the years, like, oh, these records are still selling. People people like these records, you know? Like, I mean, they kind of never stopped selling. Like, it's not like we sold a bunch of them when we were actually a band, you know? Like, we probably didn't. But just to see that, like, oh, look at that. People buy these records. Um, and then, you know, obviously getting back together all those years later, getting to tour and play like awesome venues and see the world a little bit. Yeah, it's surprising yeah, that I, it went that far, you know. I It was, it, I think the most
1: weird part was to see it the first time and see it the second time. There's this huge chunk of space between there. And you're you hear you're hearing it the same, but it doesn't look the same. You know? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like kind of a trip. So um and we can get to the reunion in a bit, but I mean yeah, I guess that was that was pretty much every band I liked was two records. Boys Life put out two records, Christy Front Drive put out technically two records, Drive Like Jehu put out two records.
2: Yeah, it was just kind of like yeah, all these bands that we knew and were kind of friends with. Um yeah, it was it was rare for bands to go further than that actually, <laughs> you know?
1: Uh, no, it's true. I, I think Sunny Day and Promise Ring were real I mean I know Sunny Day put outs too, the but then they did come back pretty quickly. Yeah. Um yeah. I guess Promise Ring then, is the only one that really
2: Yeah, Promise well. Ring, uh Oh, get up, uh, kids! They kept get going. Get up, kids! So. I was thinking, like they kept going. Yeah, Jimmy World, like the so bands. Yeah, but it was, it was definitely weird for bands to keep going. It was like, oh, that's weird. They're not going to put out two records and break up like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it's it's definitely weird. So, Break Up happens. Was Gloria record already in the works or no?
2: Yeah, uh, because the end of Mineral was kind of drawn out like Jeremy and I kind of decided we're kind of done. But we had like a couple of tours that were already booked or being booked and we had, we were trying to finish the second record. And so in saying that we didn't want to do it anymore going forward, we sort of committed to finishing the record and finishing out these tours that were booked. So so it drew out for a while. Like we, There was a long period of time where we knew Mineral wasn't going to stay together, but we were still doing stuff with Mineral. So during that time, I was starting to think about and write the stuff that would end up being on that first Glory record EP. So, so yeah, really, by the time we recorded, by the time Mineral was actually finished, we were basically not far from going to record the... EP. And then, you know, it's funny that they came out like the same fall, basically. Like the second Mineral record and that Gloria record EP.
1: Yeah, I remember sharing a version of a couple of the songs without vocals and then of the Mineral record. And you're right, it mm-hmm. kind of...
2: I remember it did drag out for a while. Um, yeah, primarily because I didn't have vocals on a lot of it um, so I ended up going on a little road trip with like only a cassette of the rough mixes of the song in my tape deck in order to try and force myself to come up with lyrics and vocals for some of it I mean I guess it's yeah, kind of hard, hard to do
1: that when you're not as invested in it also
2: yeah it was hard and and i really love like i did not feel at all secure about like what i ended up doing on that record at the time which is only cool to say now because i i think it's really good like i can listen to it now like being removed from that position i was in at the time and think oh this is really good work you know like i like like what i did on it vocally and lyrically um i do think it it enabled me to be a little freer as far as like I had really wanted to explore some kind of like layering of counterpoint vocal parts, which as that record goes on, like towards the end, there's a lot more of that because I was like, we're never going to have to, you know, recreate these songs live. Might as well do something different with them, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, well, there was always a little bit of insecurity to that band though, right? I mean, I don't remember ever seeing y'all face an audience for half of y'all sets.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I mean, and I think in some ways that's what, uh, what people respond to about it, you know, that there, there was a, uh, yeah, like it's definitely a lack of confidence, a lack of, uh, uh, I don't know, machismo or something. <laughs> Um, I w- it was definitely like yeah we were not confident, lads we were we were into what we were doing we really liked it but we were not uh, yeah I mean we were not
1: the mono. best I could the best I could tell you is I remember wearing one of the homemade like Pepsi uh-huh with the star on the side of its shirts mm-hmm. to some show and some kid was like oh I met those guys they're jerks and I was like did you talk to them? And they're like, no. And I was like, you know they're all like, <laughs> I go, you know they're all like super shy, right? And the guy's like, how do you know that? I was like, because I thought the same thing when I met him. I'm like, wow, they're, they're kind of strange. They don't talk to anybody. And then you engage someone in conversation as you should and you realize,
2: oh, these guys are really nice.
1: You know, it's just yeah. Know, we're so we used to get, people. Kind of,
2: it's what? funny, we did get we did get some, you know, some reputation along those lines, like in the kind of DIY punk rock scene. You're like, oh, those guys are jerks. They don't get it. They don't know what it's about, you know? Um, because yeah, we were, you know, not the most social fellas. <laughs> well,
1: I think it's easy for people that aren't in the band to be like, you don't get the scene those guys don't get the scene and it's like when the hell has the scene ever been a direct replica of the music that's in it? Usually the people in the bands are trying to keep a band together, figure out how they're going to make it to the next city because the show pays shit, you know, Mm -hmm. um, they're dealing with all their internal stuff and then they have to worry about whatever happens when they get home. So, you know, like there's, It's kind of like when people say, oh, you're a sellout. You're like, oh, well, if wanting to be able to eat makes me a sellout, then yeah, I'm a sellout, you know?
2: For sure, yeah. Uh, Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a scene that I think we didn't understand in a lot of ways, you know? Like, we were were happy to be playing and making music, but... uh, you know that people were, I yeah, I don't know. It was we were also like a young band of, of guys that wanted uh, wanted to be bigger. You know, like we wanted yeah. to move up in the world.
1: And <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, you're on a label who, without knowing, and I don't want to get into a can of worms about Crank. But a lot of times the labels back then took sales and gave them as advances to other people. So, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to grow when that's the circumstance or if that was a the circumstance. There, there's so many factors to it. The only band that I recall really making anything out of it was Jimmy E World. And they still had to kind of fight it out with capital and everything else, you oh. know. Uh, yeah,
2: I mean, and we did we did many tours with them, and and what's funny is more than anything, it was it was uh, it sort of broke any of our illusions that being on a major label was like the the magic ingredient to making things different because they were dealing with the exact same shit we were, uh, except they had a working van. you know. Yeah, <laughs> they had a van yeah. that that had been given to them new, you know, that was pretty much pretty well reliable you know like that was the that was really the only difference like yeah
1: they um i heard some yeah i, I remember stories from back then i was really it kind of actually yeah i didn't know anybody that ever been on a major because i just stayed away from i mean i say that i'm not like the guys from sun vault at one point but you know what i mean like you don't mm-hmm. get to know people and yeah i them some of the stuff they said i thought wow that's crazy You know, I thought all your problems went away when you signed a big record contract. Right, Uh, yeah. The stupid crap you think when you're young. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean, so y'all put out that Gloria Record EP. Did you feel like it was given a fair shake or was it in the shadow of Mineral?
2: Well, I mean, I think understandably, timing-wise, it was in the shadow. Um, And I think we started to realize that Pretty quickly, that people weren't ready for what came after Mineral <laughs> the way we were, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, in some ways, it felt like just an extension of that, as far as like um, we'd go out and play shows, and I feel like I would see the same people, you know, at the shows. So that was cool. Uh, like, people seemed to embrace it. Um, but you know the the nostalgia for Mineral like began kind of immediately, as far as Mineral's fans were concerned. Um, that it was clear that that's what they were interested in. You know. Yeah,
1: I mean, I thought that full length on uh, Arena Rock was amazing. Like, I thought it was very well composed, and the way it was mixed was very different because the vocals were like in the middle of the music in some points Uh, it's a really beautiful record Um, I mean what kind of led to that was the mineral overshadowing is what kind of led to that coming to an end or Uh,
2: no I think I think we sort of by that point you know had sort of found ourselves um, and were you know it really felt like our own thing by then um i think what led to the glory record disbanding was ultimately like we we went and made the second record or started a second record um after touring a bunch for that start here um and we just we we did it the way things kind of always happen where we wrote all this music together and kind of came up with these arrangements and then like i just didn't have any lyrics or vocals yet and that wasn't unheard of for our process but but after recording the stuff like i just really i feel like i was the main issue there like i i felt kind of checked out of it and like it just didn't really feel like plugged in and connected to what we were doing. I didn't have an idea like this is what I want I think we should do next sort of thing but the rest of the band you know particularly Ben the keyboard player who's incredible like just had so much material that he was throwing at us and we just came up with all these songs and arrangements that were basically based around his you know, like keyboard ideas and parts. And I just, so it wasn't even like, I was like part of the writing process, you know, like I, mean, I was there yeah. for it, but, but it's not like I had a guitar part, you know, that we had built stuff around, like, you know, so I was, I was even struggling to find my way into it instrumentally, like playing guitar or whatever, um, much less vocally and lyrically. Um, so we just got to a point where, all right, we got the stuff done and Simpson doesn't have any anything ready for us so what next you know and I remember at some point just like I mean I was beating my head against the wall for a long time over the material like trying to find my way into it and I finally just suggested like why don't we just take a year off you know and like you guys do whatever you want to do and We'll come back together in a year and but my suggestion at the time was like we come back together in a year and all try to have some stuff for us to work on like some new ideas and we'll keep working on the stuff that we started working on here um but it just it just wasn't you know what anyone wanted everyone was basically like we're at a point in our lives and careers where it's like if we're not going to just dive right into the next record and keep moving forward with this and let's just, you know, call it what it is and shut it down. Um, so yeah, that was essentially what happened. It was kind of my doing. Um, and I think I already ultimately like wanted to do what I did do after that, which was just write real simple music on an acoustic guitar or piano and, and like write songs that I could sing and play by myself. And then, worry about adding other things to them, you know?
1: Yeah. No, it makes, I mean, you're right. Musically, it's nothing like the EP. Like it's almost opposite in terms of sound. Um, and I mean, how long did it take for Zookeeper from that, from Gloria Record ending to, because I know the first, there was an EP before the first length. How long did it take between conception and the EP coming out?
2: It was pretty long, you know, like uh, because I guess the Glory record stopped doing anything. Well, we did most that record came out in 2002 and we were probably done with our touring for it by like, so it's probably like 2003 when we recorded that other stuff and just kind of never played again after that. So, and I guess that EP came out in 2006. So there was a few years in there where I was Just really taking it slow, like, just writing a bunch of stuff, like, just living, you know? Yeah. Um, I was not, I definitely wasn't at that point as eager to just, like, jump right back out there and, like, keep, keep touring. And I was actually, I think that was the first period of time in my life where I was like, I really actually want to just hang out at home and you know like get to know the the people that i <clears throat> live and work with you know
1: yeah no i remember there was definitely you know it's funny like to look back on that time i remember everybody's band that came you know hey mercedes is the one that sticks out after braid and i I love Bob's stuff, but I was never a Hey Mercedes guy. And I think, like, you know, it's difficult to see some people hang on to something and then people like myself are just like, well, what else is out there? I want to listen to this rabbit hole. And, yeah, it's a time in your life where you make changes. I remember getting married and then eventually getting divorced. And, you know, it's it's definitely different to see people a lot, and then not see them anymore at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I also know that everybody had had gotten married, you know, and you know was contemplating a family in that time frame. Um, mm-hmm. The zookeeper stuff is funny because it sounds like you, but to me, especially mm-hmm. the EP, it just sounded like there was a big party going on. Like, was there a lot? Was there like a lot of people around when you recorded that stuff?
2: Yeah. I mean, that EP and first LP, like that's, that was my, that was the vibe. Like, not only was there a party going on, like that was sort of my payday of partying. Um, But there, I was very much into the idea of like, let's just get as many people in a room as possible. Like whether or not they actually know the song is sort of secondary to, (laughs) to the idea of just, I don't know. Like I was, I was really inspired at the time by like the, uh, the idea of just kind of throwing everything at it, you know, um, just the magic of, of having a bunch of people in a room, like trying to create something together live, like impromptu, you know? Um, Yeah. so, and when we, you know, mixed and came up with the, uh, you know, sort of honed that material that ended up being released, like onto, into finished products. Like there was a lot of, yeah, there was, (laughs) there was a lot of trying to undo a lot of (laughs) what we did there, you know, like how do we get rid of this one thing that was playing completely out of key the whole time, but has bled into like five other things, mics. you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of that going on. Um, yeah, but that was the vibe for sure. It was just like I just wanted to make music that felt like a big party, and and with that said, you know, I, I know a lot of it is very sad music too, you know, and very sort of down. Um, but there was always the the kind of upbeat, ragged numbers too. That yeah, that was the vibe.
1: Am I wrong? Was Coley Symington your drummer for a while?
2: He was on all that stuff, yeah.
1: Because Sparta did like a warm-up tour a couple years ago, and they came through Houston, and I was like, we've met before. He's like, I don't think so. I was like, we have. I was heavier then. And he's like, okay. Well, good seeing you again. He like totally didn't remember, but I was just like, (laughs) like I used to play with Chris Simpson. He's like, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. It was kind of weird, but I I get it. it. It had been a good 10 years if not longer Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah
2: he was was, and he played on that latest Mountain Time record too like um, yeah he's always kind of been around Um, and especially when I go record I often call him up to to, he's obviously a very seasoned you know studio drummer what kind
1: of goes back to what we were saying earlier I mean I always say every city really only has five drummers, and there's probably another 30, but there's five that at any given time you can call up and hey, do you want to come do this? And that's the right guy, you know?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, for sure. Kelly's one of those guys, for sure.
1: So, there's some time between the first Zookeeper record and Pink Chalk. Is some mm-hmm. of that because of having kids and sort of just normal life stuff.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, got married 2008, started having kids 2011. So there's certainly, yeah, that, I think that's kind of the main bulk of where that time between the first zookeeper record and pink chalk, um, yeah, just a definite like shift in my life to to uh you know the party was ending as it were. And uh I was yeah, we were having kids, married like and that pink chalk stuff uh Yeah, I think I also really wanted to changed like i really wanted to make shorter simpler stuff um and I, i definitely did not want to have 80 people in the room uh kind of throwing every imaginable instrument at it you know
1: yeah i mean it feels more personal the songs are very pretty and well done it was at first listen i was like i don't know and then Kind of really sitting and listening, listening to it. I was like, oh, you know what? This record is really good. It's really well done. Uh, at the time, I thought it was the best stuff you'd done because probably because it felt personal and because without yeah. all the instrumentation for the first time in forever, I was like, oh, these lyrics are, you know, really deep because I usually don't listen to lyrics, you know, yeah. Um And it's nothing against the song. It's just, why read into what you're saying? I have no idea what you're feeling or anything like that. So, Yeah,
2: for sure. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a, uh, for me, I feel like every time I go into making a record, there's like one sort of overarching idea, you know? And like, yeah, for like those, those early Zookeeper things, it was this idea of just like get as many people in there as possible. Uh, just try and create something magic out of chaos, you know? Um, And with the Pink Chalk, it was more, like, I really wanted to revisit what I had done when I was younger and wrote acoustic stuff on my own. Like, I had made some recordings where I played all the instruments myself. Uh, So I really wanted to, like, make a record myself, like, on my own, uh, play other instruments myself. I, I definitely... Uh, I definitely did. And I don't think that that's necessarily best, you know, but it's what I was interested in doing at the time. Um, So it was me and my buddy Doug, who I've been recording with since that record. Who did uh, the new mountain time as well. Um, So he played some stuff on it too. And then uh, we had some horn players in on that last song, but, but yeah, most of the stuff on that record is stuff. I played or, or Doug played. So we really were just kind of, I felt like I was building a record on my own, you know?
1: Yeah. It felt, I mean, it felt very personal. It It's funny because that record comes out and then almost, and it was probably a year, but it felt like right after that, Count Your Lucky Stars is like, we're we're stopping, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was pretty quick, right?
1: Well, there were people I knew that were shocked that the Mountain Time didn't come out on, on their label and I was like well aren't they done and then I guess Lindsay and Mercy from football have this new band Overo and they kind of talked them into coming back and releasing the Overo record uh, and I, it seems like they're back in full swing now but
2: uh, yeah I think I think they are like I occasionally email with Keith and I think it was just burned out on it a lot for a while and they started having kids I think they have two now and he just wanted to take a break from it, and but then you know he he decided like I don't really want to work at the library anymore, you know. Yeah, I would rather I would rather put out records.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's running <laughs> well, I a think, label. I, think bad. I mean, you, every label you've been on is not what it was when you
2: put out your stuff, you know. Totally, yeah. Like I I kill labels, you know. Well, I don't because, think I mean, you do. <laughs> I just, I know I don't do that personally, but I'm like, look at all the labels I've put records out on, you know, or any less, you know? I mean, I can <laughs> run
1: through. I mean, to me, I, I know why Crank it last, and Arena Rock had <laughs> such a bizarre roster. Um, it was bizarre, yeah. And I think some of the and bands there's... they got were past, past their prime. Yeah, Sure. Uh not that those records aren't good, but it's just kinda like I mean, I love Super Drag, but was it key to making the label better by getting Super Drag? Probably not, you know. Uh um, yeah. some of the nicest, most genuine guys I've ever met in my life. I learned more about Knoxville, Tennessee in one evening with those guys and I mean I, I I've been oh, yeah, to
2: Knoxville.
1: Nice. Could have never yeah. gone after just talking to them. But uh <laughs> you know, and then yeah, count kind of your lucky stars. I mean, yeah, it's you just that's the impression I got too. I want to have kids. I'm kind of done with this, and I get it. You know, it's
2: totally as
1: a guy that's looked into it probably ten times. I end up coming back with the same thing. Like, can we put in the contract in it that they have to tour? Because right, that's something, that's something that happens. People don't tour a project, and so you know. Uh, artists are the distribution channel nowadays for physical records. you know, because totally. Um,
2: so yeah, if you're not touring, where are you selling your product? You know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's ridiculous. I feel silly writing an articles You can pick up a digital copy. I know that they still exist, but you know, I don't. I like. I would like to see Don Giovanni or. You know, Drag City makes some money off this. There's not that much money in streaming, and you know, small independent labels. Physical releases are so much of their money. Not that they don't make a lot off of streaming, because they do. But sure. um, So you go ahead and you. What was the factor in kind of retiring the Zookeeper name?
2: Uh, I mean, it's it wasn't. It's weird. It wasn't like I. I I see it as the same thing. Uh, So to me, it's just a nominal change. Like I, you know, part of the factor was I was there was starting to be other bands using the name and like link like accounts were getting linked where like people I know in Chicago were like calling me up and being like, are you guys really playing in Chicago? at Subterranean on Wednesday night. I'm like, not that I know of, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then I and then I would go like looking to it and there was some band from Chicago called Zookeeper playing out more that somehow the bands in town or Songkick or whatever thing it was uh, had merged somehow our our pages to where like their page had our photo of us on it and <laughs> but it was their shows listed you know like all the times they were playing in Chicago that month and. Uh, So I was starting to see stuff like that and um, I, you know, I I had sort of wanted to use the name Mountain Time. It was sort of in the running, like, even when I came up with the zookeeper name, like, um, and I don't know, I was just like getting, I felt like I was getting pressure to like, call it something new, you know, like yeah um start something fresh um and our buddy jeff you know who like helps manage the mineral stuff and is always kind of you know has advice about things thought it was important like he really wanted me to just do music under my own name you know thought it'd be easier to market um and i wasn't ready for that you know uh and i just didn't really i don't think of my music that way um so I don't know. I just decided to come up with a different name and uh I have you know, I've kind of regretted it ever since. Not that I want it to be called Zookeeper still, but just that I want it all to be under one roof, you know? Like I don't well, I don't love the idea of, of uh like now we're talking about reissuing uh the E P and uh the first EP and full length on vinyl, and I'm like, I'm tempted to, you know, like put it all under the Mountain Time name, even though it's just zookeeper yeah, stuff, you know. Just because, yeah. I mean, I don't want to have to like maintain like two social media sites for to have zookeeper stuff still be out there, you know. Like, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so we'll. I see. think if
1: you change, I think if you change the cover and you just say, hey, you know, just tell a story on the back of it. John Dwyer from the OCs, I'm assuming you've noticed they seem to change their damn name every release.
2: Uh Uh-huh. I love Uh, that. (laughs) Yeah. He he (laughs) told an
1: interviewer one time, "Uh, our fans will find it. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how it works with you. People that like your stuff are going to find it, no matter what it's called. But I totally get, as a guy that has multiple accounts, it's exhausting. I did not understand uh, there were multiple bands that had been around a long time before social media came about and they, you know, they would come through town and go, well, this is technically our last tour. I was like, well, why are you breaking up? Like I'm sick of having four social media accounts. And I'd be like, Uh, "Uh, it's uh, not that bad. And then when you have two or more, you're like, Oh God, this eats up four hours of the day. Easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just, it's its own job, um but it is what it is I mean i and then you were saying that the bands in town thing I'll tell you uh one year Tyler the Cre- no it was Earl sweatshirt Earl sweatshirt was coming to town, and it had taco listed as opener, and taco's a rapper on odd future, but Earl wasn't doing the Odd Future stuff anymore. And so I went to Bands in Town for Taco and it brought up the 80s guy Taco who had one hit song and because all the Odd Future shit is wacky I was like, maybe it's not Taco from Odd Future. Maybe it is this guy. How funny would that be? So I had people ask me like, hey, are you going to go to Earl? Who's opening? I was like, it's either Taco from the '80s or Taco from Odd Future. And they're like, how do you not know? I was like, because Bands Town has the guy from the '80s, and that falls in line with the kind of shit they would pull. <laughs> but it's probably going to be Taco from Odd Future, which it was. But yeah, yeah, I think there was a moment in time where that was really common, you know. And it seems to be they've fixed it. I don't know. The yeah. weird one for me is. Songkick and Bands in Town don't have the same dates sometimes and you're like okay, you know and that seemed to have changed now that everybody has it embedded on their site, you know Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it's 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 interesting to say the least I mean, so again, there was, well there really wasn't as big a gap this time, it was about what?
2: Yeah, I guess when, 2014 is when uh Pink Chalk came out so 2014 to 2020, but you know, like that largely was taken up by the mineral tours and sort of right. focused there, you know, and continuing to have kids and uh, you know, being more and more of a ro- kind of rooted. Well, as an outsider, out
1: your kids, I mean, I've met the twins, like they they're well-adjusted kids. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like, having a musician dad seems to work for them. So, you know.
2: Totally. And, you know, like, you know, those first, the first mineral reunions, like, they were, they are really little, you know? Like, so they don't even remember much of that. So that second time, the 25-year one, like, it was kind of cool to get to, for them to get to see that it was happening and, Talk about it, and like as we started preparing, I would be actually listening to Mineral in the car and stuff, trying to remember my guitar parts again. And uh, they were like really into it, so we would get in the car on the way to school, and they'd be like, "Hey, Dad, put on Mineral, you know?" Um, oh, that's cool. They had they had favorite Mineral songs and whatnot, so it was kind of cool to get to do it while they were well they were old enough to kind of understand what was happening and get excited about it you know
1: well how did it happen i mean was it did somebody reach out to the band i mean i know the thing in japan is that what started it
2: uh the 25 year one the second one well, no, no there the was, first one. Oh, the first one um the first one was uh yeah the japan thing had happened but that was a little earlier um And there was never any like talk of come tour. It was just like, we want to, they licensed the stuff to put it out there. And then um, it was really, you know, uh, Jim from Jimmy Eat World had this idea for doing a a 20th anniversary Jimmy Eat World show out in LA. And their initial idea was like several nights with Jimmy Eat World headlining. uh, And their dream was to just get as many bands that they played with back in the day in their, in their early days back together uh, to play this little Jimmy World anniversary festival in LA. And uh, the idea didn't really take off because, you know, getting a lot of these bands back together just wasn't going to happen. Um, but we were at least interested enough in the idea that it got us uh, to go get a, a beer together and talk about would we be into the idea of doing this show, and to us it actually felt like a kind of fun way to test the water, potentially. It's, like, it's not our own show, you know, like yeah, yeah not completely sink, sink or swim, it's like <clears throat> <clears throat> we can get together and like come up with a short set for this thing and just kind of test it out, see if it's something interesting to us. But, um, so we started getting together and trying to relearn some songs. And then, uh, by the time we realized that that show wasn't going to happen, we were like, you know, our, our, buddy Jeff, uh, was kind of there the whole time saying, Why would you go to the trouble of, like, getting your band back together and relearning all these songs if you weren't going to go, like, do your own tour and make some money? And, like, I don't know. It just seems silly to do all that for, like, one show of someone else's, you know? So we definitely had people, you know, saying, y'all should do this, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean... When you, when you bring up having a beer together, I guess a lot of people don't know, Jay played bass in Zookeeper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to, I would assume you still talked to everybody in the band, but maybe you did. Had it been a while since y'all had spoken?
2: It had been a while, yeah. Um, it had been probably a good 10 years, you know, since I had really seen Scott or Gabe. Um even though, you know, we're all in the same town, but it's just like we were just leading completely different lives. And, um, yeah, like I saw, I still saw Jay, um, a lot and he played some in zookeeper and, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a a coming back together, uh, in a sense that we had been, you know, we'd really pretty much been separated, you know? So yeah, I, I mean, part part of my excitement about it was really just like, oh, I want to hang out with these guys again. That sounds fun, you know? Yeah. Like whether or not whether or not the music ends up feeling any good, like I was excited to at least try it out and like hang out with those guys again. I mean,
1: I know Gabe had Papa Known, and you know Jay had that band with Brian. Which I can't remember its name. They were really good, though. Um, and then Scott David, I had not even heard of anything. I'm sure he had stuff going on, but yeah, I think it's it's strange for people to know that you can live in the same city and not even see. You can everybody can be in a band, you can still just not see each other, you know.
2: Uh, yeah. Austin yeah, it seems week Austin it is, is a huge, and it's a big old Metroplex. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's not a giant place. I mean, you can get across it pretty quick if you're not on thirty-five. But I mean, it's everybody's doing a, a different genre, and you're playing with different bands, and it's not the same crowd, you know. Um,
2: yeah, it's really easy and really. And really for a while like uh you know like you said scott hadn't been doing anything musically and gabe it had been a while since he had been playing in bands and he was like working as a paramedic and he he and his wife and kids live up in uh pflugerville so they're like a little bit outside of town so yeah just just didn't really see each other anymore you know
1: yeah yeah i uh i mean i saw the fun 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 set. And everybody looked great and everybody sounded great. And then when those tours, and then I know y'all came to Houston, um, but when those tours were, when that all that was done, I would I would guess like someone said, well, it's coming up on 25 years. Do y'all want to do this? Is that kind of how that rolled out?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think it was like, it started with like, wanting to do something to sort of commemorate like that 25 year mark um and that evolved over time like what we were talking about doing merchandise wise um from being like the the initial idea was like a big box set that had kind of everything in it and we would repress all the seven inches and just get as much like memorabilia in as, as possible but then of course when we started kind of doing budgets for that, we're like, this can be a really exorbitantly expensive product that not anyone, but like super, super fans are going to, you know, buy or be able to afford. Um, so it just kept getting scaled back and we are like, well, we don't need to put the records in there because those just got reissued and remastered five years ago. So. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll do like just repress all the seven inches. And, uh, we had the idea of doing like a extensive liner notes that we had already, uh, gotten Misha was starting to work on. Um, and then at some point it just got narrowed down to being like more of a book. So we were not in love with the idea of just putting out a book, uh, so I think that's one way dreamed up the idea is like, ooh, what if we, you know, could come up with a couple of new songs and put those in there, you know? Um, yeah. So it really kind of, kind of grew around this idea of like, what are we going to release to sort of commemorate 25 years? And then, you know, we had this South American tour that had not come through uh, during the initial round that had almost come through but not come through that we were still like talking to them and like really wanting to make something happen there. And so eventually we just decided like, let's just coordinate all of it, the release of new songs and do another tour in the States and Europe and go back to Japan and do this South America thing, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 It's definitely, I mean, we touched on this before we started. I mean, I, I like the idea of how the two songs came out. One kind of feels like old Mineral and one kind of feels like if there's a future for Mineral, this is what it could sound like. Not that it's mm-hmm. either of those things, but I mean, I would assume yeah. I'm going to get a similar answer and you have to ask this. I mean, is that all kind of just, it's on, it's up in the air now. There's no definite plans uh, for yeah, what I think Mineral
2: does totally fair to say that yeah um in a way it feels like it's sort of resolved into another kind of nice ending you know um yeah and maybe that's it maybe that's it uh we had signed on to do that uh furnace fest which was supposed to happen in september and is now they've pushed it back a few times now i think it's scheduled for next september september 2021 so we'll see if that ends up happening but um I mean, I think that's the sort of stuff that we would still do, you know, just kind of one-off festival kind of things. Like, <clears throat> I don't realistically see us, like, gearing up for any more tours. It doesn't really make sense to do any more tours unless there were to be another record or something. Obviously, that would be, it would make sense then. But but that's, a lot would have to happen for that to happen, which isn't happening. So, it's not like we're hanging out, like talking about what are we going to do next, or writing material together, or anything. And which it really just seems to have fallen into this place of like, yeah, you know, it's you know the agent knows we're sort of open for one off like so we'll just see what comes in in that regard, and that seems like a good place to have it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think people also don't get
1: that the ability to put out a song or two songs that from a band that had realistically not been together for a large span of time um, is enough in its own right. The whole record, there's the pressure that comes with the past and that's hard to do. And then figuring out what that looks like and you have your thing and it seems like everybody else kind of has their thing, you know, so it's, It'd be cool if it happened, but it's also that thing of like, you know, it might not happen. And so it's yeah. probably best to just leave it where it's at for now.
2: Yeah. You know? I think that's, I think it's a completely like natural place for it to be. And yeah, you know, I mean, if we were to sort of get an urge to like write together again, you know, there's nothing saying we can't. Uh, yeah. and, and, but yeah, there's a lot more pressure with the idea of like doing another full length than there is with just coming up with a couple songs for a 25th anniversary book, you know. Um, and even even with that said, like we know like how much work it took to come up with those two songs, so I don't think any of us are under any illusion that it would be easy to make a, a another mineral record, you know. Yeah, I applaud American Football for this third record
1: because it is the record they needed to make. It's exactly what you want. It's in the vein of the first record, but it doesn't sound like they're trying to sound like it. It's a beautiful record. It's very well-written. I think it's some of Mike's best stuff. But who knows how much energy went into making that thing? I mean...
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: It's definitely it's hard to get in that mindset, right? I mean, that's the biggest.
2: Yeah. You know, For me, I mean, yeah. You... And, and, and it'd be one thing if I didn't have something I wanted to do now. Uh, but to me, like, I just feel like my creative energy, whatever of it is there, gets funneled into thinking about, you know, what what I want to do. What kind of stuff I want to write now for, for for Mountain Time or for for me for the future, you know? Yeah. It doesn't well, it doesn't then, feel natural to think about making a mineral record, you know?
1: Yeah. And,
2: and, until someone brings up the thirtieth anniversary.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the new record is really. You know, I, I think I told you privately that I thought it was your best stuff. Um, I mean, it's crazy. There's a lot of craziness around the record. I mean, you have a, a video directed by Tim Casher, which is wild. Uh, uh-huh. It's on a new label that really seems to get what you're trying to do. I, they're, you know, I noticed they were really behind it. You know, when you get these inner workings, emails and whatnot. You know, it was like. Man, this is this is a really excitable push, you know. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: How did you end up working with Spartan?
2: Yeah, it's funny. It's another kind of full circle story. Like John uh, was. There's actually, I think, Wash Up EMO put up a, a interview he did with Mineral when he was like 17 years old. He lived in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and he talked me and Gabe into going out to the van and recorded an interview with us for his little zine he had at the time out there. And then he went on to be, like, I think he was, like, a street team member for the second mineral record. Uh, and then he ended up moving out to L.A. and, like, working at uh, with Jeff, I think, when he had Saul Goodman going, like, towards the end of that. Um so he's and then he went on to work for a bunch of major labels and like run their marketing departments and stuff and then he, you know, started having kids and settled down and ended up in Seattle, um uh and is just running a you know, a label for his own amusement out of his uh house now. Um but he's clearly, you know, has a lot of experience and knows the industry and knows how to, you know, work things. He especially knows marketing, I think. Um, So I, yeah, he was, he's the only person who reached out and said, Oh, I want to put this record out, you know? So it's not like I was sifting through offers, you know? Uh, And I, I admittedly, like, like went and checked out a bunch of the other stuff he's put out. And it seems like at least initially there was this real, like, you know, uh, vibe to everything he was putting out that didn't feel like this is the right place for a mountain time record. But the more I talk to him, the more I'm just like, you know, he's just, he's a really cool guy. And he's, he, he clearly loves the record and and he loves the idea of working with me um, so it just kinda made sense, you know.
1: Uh no, I I, 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 I think this said, is what uh, always
2: happens to me, you know, like putting out records, like I end up finding someone who it always feels personal, you know? It feels like, oh I'm great, I'm putting out another record with a friend essentially. Um Yeah, I think Keith and Counting Your Lucky Stars is probably an exception to that just because I don't know him that well. Um but uh yeah.
1: No, it's a, it seems like a good fit. I, I will tell you, there were things to do with the vinyl press that watching it happen I thought, man, this is fucking brilliant. It's like you want this color? Do you can only get this many? You know, I was like
2: mm-hmm. this is
1: marketing brilliance. Because
2: Yeah, he's he's really into that. Like he does that with all his releases, you know, like certain numbers of different variants, you know, like, yeah.
1: There are it's factors a whole I know about, about vinyl when a band goes to put something out and I say, oh, you should get them numbered. And they're like, why? And I was like, because people that collect records for record collection's sake care about that. Uh-huh. And totally. you should do color variants and cover variants and all that stuff. Because at the end of the day, selling 500 records is not easy mm-hmm. because don't it live isn't. in that world anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some artists where a label will tell me they did this physically and knowing how the industry is now, I'm like, holy moly, that's a lot. But if you told me that 20 years ago, i like, well, that's nothing. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's changed so much. So I appreciate somebody that understands Okay, this is about what the audience is it might be a little bit under that. We don't have giant budgets here. Let's do what we can realistically do and market it correctly and then end up with a sold out record, which is what happened. Um
2: mm-hmm. I mean, at one point I
1: guess there were like test pressings or something like we've got two test pressings left. I was like, "Wow, that's great." You know.
2: Mhm. Um, yeah, it's cool. It was cool to see him work is magic you know because uh yeah that's that's all him like uh we i think we settled on like let's make 300 you know i think we can sell 300 you know like he's like i don't want to make any more than we can sell before it comes out you know like i want to sell all these before the actual release date um so he started with 300 and we were happy as as started selling through and He's like, oh, let's add another 100. You know, like, oh, let's add another 100. So yeah, we ended up with 500. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not easy to sell 500 records. Like, it well, was it was an uphill, an uphill slog, like a lot of it.
1: Especially in the middle of a pandemic. Especially when no one especially. can tour. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's weird because I've had people outside of the industry say, well, I don't get why these records are coming out. And it's like, look, they were scheduled to come out. It sucks. We're going through this, but labels are earmarking money for next year. So they got to get these records out to start paying for what comes next year. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, it was weird at first when I started to see records come out and I'm like, Oh, right. You know, I guess they have to come out. Um, But no, I think that's a perfect fit for you. The record feels I mean, it's ironic they put out a Giants Tear record, and that Giants Tear record is better than their early stuff. I thought it's really uh, good. Yeah, uh, it, it's cool because I would like to use this as two as a two where you could hear the passion in the music. You know, like those guys, mm-hmm. that record you can hear they're into it. It's not just going through the motions. You know, um, definitely.
2: I mean, really, I like guys, guys who are like you know, adults, married with kids, and real jobs, like, it's got to be a passion for them to, like, get together, and write another record, and put out another record, because otherwise, like, why would you do it, you know? Yeah. Like, so, I love that, too. Like, I love just you can hear the passion in it, and, like, yeah, like, of course, it's this is them being passionate, you know, like, why else would they be doing it? It's not like they're yeah. back for a it's, paycheck or something, you know?
1: Yeah. It's not like you're going to get rich off of it. So you might as well love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had said earlier that at different points, you're trying to get back to what it was like recording yourself on an acoustic, playing on an acoustic. And this record kind of feels like that. Was that kind of the goal?
2: Yeah, I think that was the goal, uh, for sure. Um, Yeah, just wanting to start with, like... Yeah, I think that's been the goal throughout Zookeeper, but particularly, like, the last two, uh, like Pink Chalk and this one. Um, Yeah, I just want... I don't want anything on there that's not a song that I could sit down and play on my own and put across, you know? Um, Which doesn't mean that That's the version I want on the record You know, like I I love I love how dense this record kind of became Um, But Yeah, like I wanted to always be based around Like a real simple song That I could just sit down and play on my own I mean
1: It is dense Dense is a really good way to put it In fact digging into the record, like I guess they sent me in advance, but a lot of times I will wait till it comes out and then instead of running the review on the Friday, it comes out running it the following Monday or Tuesday because I want to have the incentive to spend time with it because if I listen to it too early, then I want to ride it and then i got to sit there and see it in the queue for so long. It drives me nuts. So, um, mm. But I just think like, the amount of instrumentation on the record really shocked me. Not that I didn't think that was something you could do or bring to the table. It was just like, I guess, because I had already seen you perform some of it live, and so mm-hmm. it was just like, oh wow, this is really thick. I mean, there's a lot there. Was
2: mm-hmm. was the recording process pretty lengthy, or? Yeah, I mean, my recording process is always pretty lengthy. Like, um, just in that, like, uh, I think we started this like the spring after the initial mineral reunion happened. So spring of 2015 and then finished it like summer of 2019. So yeah, like four and a half years, four plus years working on it. Um, And that's not solid work. Obviously there's like periods of time where we don't work on it for a couple of months. Um, But The ideas, you know, were initially laid down, uh, and I even had Cully came and put drums down to just me. So it was just me and Cully at first, and then I knew I sort of wanted to build. I wanted to use strings and horns and background singers. Like I had this idea that I wanted to use those three elements first before like adding a bunch of other guitars or keyboards or like the things that it feels easy to add to things. Um, And so a lot of those elements kind of were came next. Um, And then once we got those in place, we ended up sort of redoing a lot of the drums because it just, Anyway, everything just kind of felt like it was taking a different direction. Um, so, yeah, we kind of built around those those sort of uh, what to me felt like novel textures or, or novel colors in the palette for the record, like the idea of strings and horns and background singers was... Kind of how i wanted to build the record um and they're not on all of it but they're like kind of woven throughout it enough to where it kind of they paint a picture for the whole record i think um and then you know after we had that in place we went back and it was really I've, i feel like i've been i said for like the last three years like this record's almost done because it felt that way, you know, but the, so the last two or three years would have been um, just re trying different things as far as like other little textures, like not trying to add more things, but just like really thinking about like, is everything here, like what we want it to be. And if we have a guitar part that doesn't really need to be there. Then let's take that out and figure out something else to put there instead. And, um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of Doug did a lot of really beautiful metal steel work, which was a really nice sort of color that I feel like bridges the gap between the more traditional instruments and, and the the strings and horns and background vocalists. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it was just, you know, it took a long time to kind of color it exactly the way we wanted it.
1: I mean, it sounds like your most honest work. You know, it's funny because you look at it like a like a career as a body of work. And, you know, it's kind of funny, and I don't mean this in any negative way, but it's like, well, the first Manolo record was recorded in a space that I think we can all admit, probably should have been recorded in a better place, but I know the budget was low. Mm-hmm. The second record's right. made by a great producer, uh, but it take it like it, you admittedly said, it took a long time to get together. Uh, the Gloria record EP comes out pretty quick, and then the next one takes a while, and it doesn't really sound like the original incarnation of the band's sound. Uh, the Zookeeper record and the EP, you're a completely different person than you are now. So it's just like phases of life, you know, where your work, it, your life seems to really dictate the kind of music you make. And I think a lot of people are that way, but I guess knowing you better, realizing, oh, you know, this is the kind of record he should make, you know. And But this one really floored me. I, For a long time, when people were asking me, what's a record in your top 10 of the year? I'd be like, oh, well, that Mountain Time record's tough to beat. And they're like, are you saying that because you're a Mineral fan? And it's like, well, I can admit there's Mineral stuff I don't like. Because, you know, when you're a fan, you don't ask fans. Because fans will never give you an honest answer. And I can yeah. safely say that when I was a teenager, I thought Bossa Nova was the record of the year it came out. And I go back and listen to it now, and I'm like, yeah, I like Pixies, but this is not a very good record at all, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And so... You know, I can do the same with mineral. I would never say it's not good, but it's like there's elements of it that I wish were better. You know, and so, yeah. Um, and I, as do I think anybody. You know, including maybe yourself. But um, no, it was very. It's such a lush record, and it's not that it. It's not that I didn't think you could make this record. It just wasn't what I was expecting. I thought this was going to be. It's going to be keys. It's going to be acoustic. There probably be some brush drums. And, you know, it'll be a lot like Pink Chalk. And instead, there are those kind of songs on it. But there's also these songs where I'm like, whoa, this is really, I mean, just the perfect palette for that song. I think you did those songs justice for sure. Oh, man, that makes
2: me feel good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what, I think that's where the time went on it, you know, um, to making sure that we were, yeah, like that the songs are sort of justice is being done to the songs. Like, uh, you know, we always, always have like a vision for what I think a song can be. And, uh, while at some point you have to kind of let go of that in order to let it be what it, in a way it sort of dictates itself, like what, what it needs. Um, and you have to let go of your own vision, but but this record, I, I I think I had a more sort of persistent or stubborn vision for really what how I wanted the record to to feel and like the colors and textures I wanted it to have, and and so I think a lot of it was just really, you know, putting putting our nose to the grindstone and and you know like meeting the responsibility to like. You know, bring that to life. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely proud of the the way it came out, uh, and also just real happy that it's done and uh, that I get to think about something else now. Because uh, I I really have trouble creatively doing more than one thing at a time. Um, so like I can't I can't be writing new stuff or thinking about new stuff while while I'm working on that record for five years, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: What I could also is
1: the pressure of time, you know, like, when is this ever going to be done? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
2: I think there's I no, know. I don't know, there's nobody. It's nice to not have pressure, you know, at this point in my career, if you would call it that, like uh, there's nobody's, there's no like money man like standing in the background looking at his watch. You know, if there is, it's it's my uh, it's my wife <laughs> Just being like, "Are you still working on this record?" I but, know, uh, I- yeah, you know,
1: I I I would say that your relationship with your wife is a testament for true love because you've been together pretty much the whole time I've known you, minus maybe two or three years. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it's been a long time. (laughs) um,
1: I guess something popped up the other day and it had a date on it. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess it has been that long. Now I feel old, but I mean, good for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think that's a good place to be. I mean, if you're not I, I would assume there were plans to tour, obviously, before COVID hit?
2: Not necessarily. Uh, nothing was really fleshed out. I mean, I do have a group of people that I've been playing around town with. Um, and obviously, you know, Chris and was like, got involved kind of early on in this record. Um, so there is kind of a crew of people um, who would have been excited to do that. Um, but there wasn't specific plans. I think without the pandemic, we would have, uh, I think, found a way to do at least a few like major market shows, you know, like even just like fly to New York and play a show or fly to LA and play a show. Um, But there wasn't specific plans that were scrapped, you know, Um, as far as touring. Like, I I really think uh, it's, it's hard to imagine. Like, i mean, mineral is one thing. It's like there's, there's a market and there's a way, there's a way to tour with that, where, you know, everyone gets paid for their time. And, um, it's just, it's hard to imagine touring without that <laughs> luxury, you know, which right. I don't think we would ne- necessarily have with mountain time. So, uh, definitely past the days of, like, trying to, I mean, yeah, like, I couldn't imagine touring it the way we toured in Mineral and the Gloria Records, you know, where you're just, because you're young and you don't really have responsibilities and you can afford to just make that decision to be out there and, you know, get what you get. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would definitely love to play this material live. Like I think it would, I think it could be really powerful, and I think it could be great on tour. But uh, I'm in a way sort of relieved that we don't have to think about that immediately. You know.
1: Yeah, I as a guy that's been doing what I do, essentially thirty years. Thirty years this Saturday, I guess, because I'll be forty-five a lot of people were like hey man do you miss going to shows and at first it was weird but then i was like no this is a break i would have <laughs> never taken i would have never taken this time off ever i mean mm-hmm. and there's been shows i could have gone to and i didn't go and people from the venue will come to me and go well why did you come and it's like because i don't give a shit about that artist and I think when you have the ability to do something, you do it because you can. And when it's taken away from you, you treasure what you and ina- you interact with. And I could see touring being the exact same thing. I mean, obviously, mineral gets paid well, you know. And so, I, you know, when you're young, you're trying to take over the world with a guitar and a Marshall half stack. And when you get older your priorities change, you know, it's, yeah, it's great to play live, but if the money's not there, it's hard to make it happen.
2: Mm hmm For sure. Yeah. Like, I don't have any, yeah, I don't know. And, and I would be happy. Like, to me, like, the ultimate thing is, the thing I'm the most interested in always is the songs and the recordings. Like, because to me, those are, the artifacts you know that's what lives on uh that's what i like to fill my shelves up with um and you know i love playing live and i think there's something really special that happens in that uh sort of communion between an artist and a group of people but uh yeah so i mean i don't i don't I would never say like I'm not interested in playing live but but I do think I could be pretty happy just making records you know yeah no I agree I really
1: really appreciate you taking the time not to do this um oh no worries Dad. yeah it's a yeah. nice yeah, chat.
0: So self Songs is produced by David Garrick and closed captioned You can find new episodes every Thursday on the closed captioned website at closedcap.com or you can find them on all streaming platforms. You can also support us at anchor.fm. Thanks for listening.